The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. In celebration of their newly launched WCI newsstand platform, Wing Chun Illustrated is giving listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast a free one-month all-access subscription. Go to wcinewsstand.com and click the register button in the upper right corner. Use voucher code FREE4U. That's F-R-E-E, the number four, and the letter U, all caps. Don't forget to activate your account by clicking the link in the welcome message. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your host, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. And we are back and better than ever. How are you, you ugly bastard, Alex Richter? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. It's nice to see uh, your pretty face on the other side of my screen. Listen, I, I know I'm good looking. You don't got to tell me. I mean, you know, clearly you have your glasses on. <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been a couple weeks. I've been uh, I've been out traveling. I was in Europe and um, you know working on all sorts of projects and things. Uh, how about you? What have you been up to lately? Well, I'm doing good. I went on a family vacation, which I shouldn't say that. You know what? It was not really a family vacation. It was just me and my wife, uh-huh. which, is the, which um, this is sound crazy to you because I know you and your wife do get away without the kids and everything. For me and my wife, my sons are in their 20s. Mm-hmm. This is the first vacation since my sons were born that me, Laura and I went away without the kids. Wow. That... This is literally the first time we ever went away without the kids. Wow, my my wife and I manage to get rid of the kids all the time <laughs> and, and, and go travel. Right, we've been to Hong right. Kong without the kids. We've been to Europe, I think, without the kids. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, we 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 um, uh, it's just liberal use of the grandparents, <laughs> and and that's awesome. That's great. You know, just for some reason, we just we never went away without the kids, and mm. this is the first time we ever went away, and we just had such a spectacular time. We went on a, a Royal yeah, Caribbean sure. ship, Anthem, Anthem of the Seas, and uh, the ship is huge and was amazing, and I'm just so happy I went, and me and my wife had such a great time. But yeah, my wife to told me she, my my wife told me she saw that you guys were on a cruise, which is funny because we're actually going to go on one uh, next month as well. Um, it's the first time I've ever um, done one of those Caribbean cruises, so I look forward to the rest and relaxation. I've been a little uh, little overworked these days, and it'll be nice to kind of chill out for a bit. You're gonna love it, dude. Cruising is, in my opinion, the best vacation in the world. I mean, some people don't like it, but you know, they're, they're stupid. I um, I just I think I think I think cruises are amazing. I I love cruises. Again, maybe it's not for everybody, but for me, it's just top notch. Because like I said to you before, like, you know, it's like you can either be busy all day if you want, yeah, or you could just do nothing and hang out by the pool and have a cool drink. Sure. And either way, you're having a great vacation. That's awesome. And you know, and the food is just awesome, dude. That's great. That's great. Uh, so uh, new things in the Wing Chun world. So IP Man 4 is coming to theater soon. Did you hear about this? Well, I heard it's a, a factual documentary, almost like what do they call it, a docudrama? <laughs> a docudrama. <laughs> yeah, finally. About the time finally IP Man came to him. Yeah, yeah, finally, after three completely fictitious films about the late Grandmaster, the fourth one will finally tell the real story. <laughs> like, 
comes to New York and becomes an Uber driver. Yes, yes, in 1972, <laughs> no less. <laughs> right, exactly, where he invented the Uber. Yes, exactly, and... exactly. So I, I actually just uh, Googled online uh, for the, because I know it's actually, unlike uh, some of the previous ones, it's also going to get an international release around the same time as the Hong Kong release, because usually... Um, they're released like in Hong Kong and Asia first, and then sometimes they'll have like a limited release in the States, uh, which is usually a few months later or maybe much later. But I believe that Yip Man 4 is going to come out in the States to some limited release around the same time it's coming out in Hong Kong, which is actually Christmas Day, December 25th this year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, one of my Kung Fu family members is actually in the film, uh, Sifu Chris Collins, who is a uh, Basically, he's a Kung Fu uncle of mine. We have a very large and expanded Kung Fu family in the uh, in the Leung Ting universe. And uh, Sifu Chris Collins is a student of Sifu Cheng Chun Fan, who is the younger Kung Fu brother of Leung Ting. So we're all in the same family, although we don't have the same like Sifu line. So uh, he's kind of like a Kung Fu uncle of mine. And he's he's done a couple Hong Kong films already, uh, working notably with uh, Sammo Hung and Tony Ja uh, uh, and, and Louis Ku, among others. But he's in Yip Man 4. He's actually, oddly enough, although he's a real Wing Chun Sifu in real life, and he's also a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, he's just play, he's playing one of he's playing one of the karate bad guys in uh, Yip Man 4, which is funny because, like, of everyone in the movie, including Donnie Yen, he's the most qualified in terms of Wing Chun, but he's playing a karate guy. <laughs> of course, right, exactly. <laughs> so uh, he's going to be in the movie, so I, I look forward to uh, seeing him in it. And, uh, he, I mean, I'll be down in Miami uh, on Christmas. Uh, hopefully there's a theater down there that shows it because I would love to see it uh, sooner than later. And um, the, the IP Men movies always bring us lots of new students, um, most notable notably uh, Chinese students. Like Usually whenever these films come out, there's always a little surge of uh, new students joining my school. And oddly enough, it's usually Chinese who end up joining my school after these movies come out, um, which is interesting. It's it, you know what? I can't, I'm not going to try and speak for anybody else or their culture. Just sitting back here as a fat white guy thinking about it, it maybe kind of puts some people in touch with a, an idea of their culture that they're missing out on. Right. That they sit there and they, and they say, you know what? That's part of the history of my culture. And maybe I want to identify with that. Maybe yeah. I want to experience that and have an understanding of that. You right. know, that's, that's really interesting. I didn't, yeah, it's, it's a cool tidbit. Yeah, I mean now because a, f a few of these Yip Man movies have come out, and it's always our experience that we get a small bump in in yeah chi in Chinese new Chinese students wanting to join. And I think you're right. I think there's something that you know Bruce uh, Bruce Lee, uh, you know, having learned Wing Chun and Yip Man being his sifu. I think that there's a great pride in in having a cultural. Uh, identity that aligns with that and then maybe wanting to learn it and it's my experience that a lot of uh, a lot of Chinese who like American born Chinese or even uh, uh, you know Chinese who move over here while they're going to school because academics is such a big deal among uh, Chinese communities as it is among most Asian communities they're usually not allowed to practice martial arts when they're younger I mean most of my Chinese friends when I was growing up, were jealous because I was allowed to do martial arts and they were not allowed to because they had to study. They they could only do you know schoolwork after school. So and I think what happens is once uh once they they go into adulthood, they have the ability to do it and then they're gonna kind of try to make up for lost time and and so um I have a feeling that you know a couple of those factors 
usually um, uh, come into play, you know, with wh why they, uh, a lot of Chinese decide to do martial arts a little bit later and after seeing these kind of, these kind of exciting films. So yeah, uh, interesting to see uh, how this turns out. Um, did I, did I, did I read the synopsis to you, by the way, of the Yip Man 4 movie? Uh, go, why don't you bring it? Okay. So, uh, yes, as you kind of uh, made the joke about this being a docudrama, um, it's kind of a joke as anyone, uh, who knows anything about Yip Man and knows anything about our podcast, uh, we've discussed this ad nauseum. None of the Yip Man movies like remotely come close to telling his real story, which is understandable. These are films. Their jobs are to make money. So they want to make entertaining movies and they need to make entertaining films for the mainland Chinese audience. Um, but they don't even come close. And it's kind of unfortunate because uh, Grandmaster Yip Man's real life uh, was very compelling and had a lot of things that would make for great films. But they seem to ignore the real life things and just love to create lots of, you know, crazy fiction. So. Anyway, the synopsis for IP Man 4 is, uh, as per Google, uh, Ip Man and his son encounter racial discrimination after traveling to the United States to seek a better life. <laughs> That's unfucking real. Yes, yes, yes. So this is, um, you know, and, and again, Sifu Chris Collins, someone in my Kung Fu family, he's in the movie. I wish the movie nothing but success. Um, but as as kind of an armchair historian and, and Yip Man geek, it's kind of like, is is this the film? You know, you know, you, you know the term uh, or the phrase uh, jumping the shark? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you know where that's from? I do know where that's from. Uh, oh, but good, may, good. maybe people in our audience don't know. Like a lot of people have heard jumping the shark when when something when like a TV series or like, uh, you know, something you're following for a while tends to lose its kind of path or tends to, you know, go off the rails, so to speak. Uh, we have the saying called, you know, it jumps the shark. And this is based on an episode of an old TV show, Happy Days, right? Happy Days, which was this awesome TV show when I when I was younger, Happy Days, and the main character was the Fonz. Right. And in one of the later episodes, so Fonz rode a motorcycle, and literally once or twice throughout the series, he, like, jumped some busters and some cars and, like, these, like, stunt bikes, like an evil Knievel kind of thing. Right. And... They were in L.A., and he literally jumps a shark. So he he skis, I think, right? Ski, He's like oh, yeah, on water I, skis, I right? Water skis. Yeah. He water skis, and he water ski jumps a shark. And it, and it was like just the most absurd, ridiculous thing that they had them do on the show. And it was just like clearly the writers have just run out of ideas. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And now like when these shows, when TV shows kind of like – Take a turn for the worst. I'll just say uh, it's jumped a shark. Right, right. Yeah, I remember like literally it's like, a yeah, the, the, the writers had like lost all their creativity and it's like, what are we going to do? Well, let's have Fonzie water ski and, and jump on a, a on a ramp and go over a shark, right? Which is there, like. There used to be a website. It may still be up, but years ago there was a website called Jump the Shark. And wow. people could submit when TV shows actually jumped the shark <laughs> and like they and, and they would rate shows like wh like whether it jumped to, like some shows never jumped the shark right like you know like what or if a show did jump the shark what was the exact episode 
where the show right. jumped the shark. Right, you know, where they where the writers go for that cheap gimmick to kind of just save whatever's left of this thing that's been going on, this institutionalized show, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just really cool. And you know what? I, I had something I wanted to mention before we uh, go on to the next topic. I should have mentioned to you earlier. I am, I must have said on the show a hundred times, I'm not a Bruce Lee geek. I'm more of a JKD guy. But even me thought this was the coolest, one of the coolest fucking things I've heard in a long time in the world of JKD and Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee's L.A. Chinatown school was at 628 College Street. And for years, it's just been an abandoned building where people would go now and just take pictures in front of. Well, I, I, I think there was another business in there. Like it was a like a dentist's office or a photo. Like well, it, it had become a bunch of things over the course of the years. Well, now it's a JKD school again. Yeah. And 628 College Street is open for business. Teaching Jeet Kune Do with proper lineage. It's a Jerry Petit school. I just think that's just so freaking awesome and cool. And it would almost make me want to go to L.A. Just like to get my JKD Bruce Lee geek on. Right, right. To go to 628 College Street. Yeah. Like I just, like, you know, like to know that my teacher, Steve Golden, trained with Bruce Lee in that building, in that room. Right, right. I want to now go in there. Yeah. Like I want to be able to just walk in there and 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 work on a jong or or hit a bag or do something. Like that's just like I've never wanted to go to LA before in my life. <laughs> I now want to I mean like just I had no bid to go to LA. Right, right. And now and now I want to go to LA just so I can go to 628 college. <laughs> Yeah, LA is uh, kind of a weird place for us East Coasters. We still, I think, we all deep down inside, we all still have a little bit of the East Coast, West Coast rivalry. For me, it's kind of a weird thing. I was born in Los Angeles, but I grew up on the East Coast. So I have this kind of like, I didn't grow up in Los Angeles, so I don't like have any real like deep cultural ties to it, but I have some very close friends who live in Los Angeles. So I do go there every couple of years and it's nice to go there for a few days and kind of experience what it has to offer and then get the hell out as soon as possible. But right. I, next time I go, I'd be super excited to see uh, um, that cheat Kundo school and, um, you know, visit it. And, and I mean, yeah, it's like, of course it's, it's not about the place or anything like that, but there's, there's definitely something. There's, uh, there's uh, a little bit of mojo going there's on. There's a little there. bit on. of mojo. If you're teaching in a place where Bruce Lee once taught. And, um, I, I remember when I lived in Seattle, I used, I had a list of all the places where Bruce Lee had taught in Seattle. He taught in, um, one of his, his first schools, if not his first school was on university way in the university district in Seattle. Right, right. I had that address. I actually lived a couple blocks away from that. And I remember I would just walk by and the address, I would see the address. The building was still the same as it was back then. And I would just right, like right. slow down every time I went by that address and just kind of look at it just, and sure, literally just sure. stare at the building. Right. And in Chinatown, there was another uh, a Seattle Chinatown. There was another location of his other school, and I'd walk by that every time I would park my car. <laughs> and yeah, there, there's something you know when you have these cultural connections to these things that are are um, amazing. And then you know if someone were to open another school in those same places, yeah, I mean there, there would definitely be some kind of energy there, even if it's all just in your mind um, right, about exactly. about what that you know what that thing means to you, you know. Right. It doesn't have to. It's it's like 
when you, it's like if you worked a Jong that Bruce Lee worked on. Right. You, you know, there's nothing really special about the Jong. Right. But there's some kind of mojo there. Yes. Like, you know, yes. Like, there's just something there. I'm sorry. You know, it's. Yeah, some absolutely. Kind of mojo going I, on. I, I mean, like, yeah, it's it's like you said, you're you're not really a Bruce Lee geek, but you're 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 kind of a cheap kendo geek. But it's like, but there's still certain things, like especially when it comes oh, to the yeah. training stuff, like you know, like right. uh, if you had a pair of Bruce Lee's focus mitts or a pair right. of gloves, oh, like absolutely, th- those are kind of the things where you just look at it and you just go like, you know, wow, this is like pretty amazing. Right. I remember, um, although it's not directly a Bruce Lee thing, um, when I went to the uh, Bruce Lee exhibit in Hong Kong. Um, every time I, I go there every year, and they have they have lots of Bruce Lee stuff. They have like his clothes, so you can see like his clothes on mannequins, like the normal stuff right. that he wore, his like attaché case, his books and stuff that he owned. But oddly enough, the thing that I geeked out the most about was when I saw Hans Claw in a glass case at the uh, at the museum. Yeah, that's that's pretty damn cool, right? <laughs> because I just look at it, it's like it's the claw with the four blades not not the not the three bladed tiger one at the beginning of the fight but the one he switched to at the end and you're like what and then you see the handle where shekin held on to it right because it's just, right, he's just right, holding right. on to this thing right and and I, I just remember just staring at that thing like an idiot for like five minutes like the han claw right so yeah, yeah i mean there's, yeah. Def- there's definitely things out there that like hey this is cool it's got some mojo to it, you know, like, and, and I'm sure it's in, you know, for us, we'll talk about, you know, Wing Chun, JKD stuff. Um, like, I know if I had the opportunity to just play a guitar that Eric Clapton played. Right. You know, like, it's not going to make me a better guitar player. Right. I'm still going to suck. <laughs> but there'd be just some kind of mojo to, like, playing the guitar that Eric Clapton played. You sure, know? Like, sure. Sure. Yeah, at um at at uh, Sifu Chan Chi Man's home in Hong Kong, he has a a long pole that used to belong to Lok Yu, the second student of Yip Man, and he just has it in his house, right? And and then right. and, and then he goes like, "Oh, Alex, this this used to be Lok Yu's long pole, and and he gave it to me, and I've had it, you know, since he passed away, and he hands it to me, and I'm just like, like, oh, like you know, I have this right. thing in my hands, and it's like." You know, it's simultaneously like so amazing, and and also like I don't want to like break it or do anything, even though it's a very sturdy long pole. But um, and then bringing my students over there and and, and letting them have a chance to kind of hold on to it. Yeah, there's something I think uh, uh, transformative about that, and I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's cool. I got a question for you, young yeah. man. So before you mentioned that the uh, there's a gentleman in, gentleman in the new uh, IP movie. Um, that is in part of your Kung Fu family. Right. And extended with the Long Ting family and your Kung Fu family being so large. Yeah. Do you ever run into issues where people like can confuse like who's a Sifu or a Seabok or <laughs> like, like does, does that ever become an, an, an issue? Or? Yeah, it, it does because, you know, like, um, these things weren't an issue in the old days because, uh, 
you know, most Kung Fu families follow under one Sifu, right? right so right, right. the Sifu is a Sifu and everyone who started before you is either a Si Heng or a Si Jie if they're female and everyone after you is Si Dai or Si Moi. And that's kind of it. And then maybe your Sifu might have some relationships with their Kung Fu brothers and sisters. So you might have a couple Kung Fu uncles or whatever. But in the Leung Ting lineage, because it's so large, you have tons of people under Leung Ting who are qualified as Sifu. And of course, they have their own students who are Sifus as well. So what ends up happening is within the quote unquote Leung Ting family, you have like parallel lines of people who belong to the WT lineage, but they don't have the same Sifu, right? So what ends up happening is, you know, it ends up becoming a little weird. Like, what is the relationship between two people who um, are part of the Leung line, but have a different Sifu within that line, right? Because it's like, if you have the same Sifu, it's a very straight connection, you know, Si Heng, Si Dai, whatever. Um, but right. when like, your your buddy is also in the same lineage as you, but they have another Sifu and you have another Sifu, but from the same, let's say, Leung Ting lineage in this case, you know, how do you address people? Because you're technically like Kung Fu cousins, I guess, right? So, right, right, right. So, you know, there, there, there's, we have a lot of that. And I can imagine the bigger organization, I can imagine like in the William Chang organization where they have lots of Sifus all over the world. Sure, they sure, probably sure. also have this issue of like kind of parallel lineages within their own kind of general family, right? Um, but yeah, it's funny that you should ask that, Sean, because... Um, I yeah did have a little bit of um uh some people asked me because I posted about it online uh, a a little bit I don't know it's not controversy because I don't think anyone really cares um but uh, one of my kung fu uncles in Hong Kong he kind of um mistakenly listed himself as my sifu <laughs> and this caused like a lot of confusion and um also a, a little bit of embarrassment I suppose um. As, as you might know, so Sifu Leung Teng uh, was originally a student of Leung Seung before he later uh, took private training with Grandmaster Yip Man. So there are some people that regard Leung Teng as someone from the Leung Seung line. And there are other people who regard Leung Teng as somebody, you know, who later learned from Yip Man. And that's what he does. Right. But there there are a lot of people who, you know, they kind of hold on to the whoever your Sifu was, uh, you know, is always your Sifu, uh, which is the tradition in Chinese martial arts. And therefore, you will always be a such and such guy or whatever. Right. So um, one of my Seabox joined the Leung Seung Association because, you know, he's lineage is through Leung Teng, through Leung Seung. And wanted me to join that uh, Leung Seung Association too, which they had like a book, like the Genealogy of the Wing Chun Family book, where they list all of, you know, Leung Seung students, first generation, second generation, so on and so forth. And, you know, me as some descendant of Sifu Leung Ting, apparently I'm also in the Leung Seung lineage and this would be a big deal if I was in the book or whatever. But I had no... I had no interest in joining the, that association, and that is not at all a reflection on uh, Leung Seung or their lineage or anything like that. It's just um, at this point in my career, I, I belong to like seven different martial art associations in Hong Kong, and it's 
it, it doesn't really mean that much, right? Like, you, right. you know, I have honorary memberships and all sorts of associations. And at the end of the day, uh, no one is lining up to join my school because I am a honorary member of the Chinese Martial Art Association, Hong Kong, whatever branch, right? So I, I kind of like try to respectfully pass in joining the Langsheng Association because I don't really feel any need for it. And, and, and so... Anyway, apparently the deal was one of my students uh, moved to Hong Kong a number of years ago. And that student of mine takes private lessons with my Kung Fu uncle so that he can continue his training while he's over there. And so they listed my student in the Leung Seung book. But since I didn't want to pay to join the association, they didn't give me like a real listing. They just put like a silhouette of my face or silhouette and they put my name on there. But my Kung Fu uncle put me directly under him, which would imply that he is my Sifu. And and my student is then the grand student of my Sibak or whatever. And this is uh, not at all the case. My Sifu is Sifu Kanspecht, who's the top student of Leung Tang. And it's always been that way and it's not going to change. Um, but perhaps my Sibak was a bit confused when he did that. But um, it was interesting because like literally the next day after the banquet, which was about three, four weeks ago at this point, I got all sorts of like messages from people who went to the banquet and they're like, yo, I saw you in that book. I didn't know Sifu, <laughs> you know, Sifu so-and-so is actually your Sifu. And I'm like, um, no, why do you think that? And then they sent me like a photo of the screen, like a screenshot of the book. And, and I had realized what had happened. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, it ultimately doesn't really mean a whole lot. No one really cares or anything like that, but it's just interesting that, um, you know, sometimes people who have uh, uh, kind of salty relationships with their former Sifu, um, as my Seabok does, you know, just decide like they're going to kind of cut them out of the picture and like, oh, screw it. Like, this is the way it is now. What And, and I'm not that way. I mean, when I left the Leung Ting organization, I didn't leave because I had a disagreement with Sifu Leung Ting. I left because of his management in the U.S. is run by a bunch of uh, relatively incompetent and unsuccessful, quote unquote, Wing Chun masters. And so I quit because of the dis disagreement with them. I didn't have a problem with Sifu Leung Ting. I just couldn't stay in his association anymore. And I certainly don't have a problem with my Sifu and always had a good relationship with him. So even though I'm no longer part of the association, my lineage is my lineage. That doesn't change anything. Right, um, course, but there's right. some people that once they kind of cut ties to a business organization, then they also you know feel that that kind of ends the... Sifu Todai relationship or whatever and you know that's not the case with me although maybe that was the case with my Seabok um, but I certainly um, you know even though my Seabok did um, help me out a lot I certainly do not regard him as my Sifu and I hope uh, that that was just a simple misprint in that book so anyway that's all I'm going to say about that as I like to say before we go on to our main topic let's uh, hear this little bit from uh, Sifu John Crucioni. Hey all, have you heard that John Crucioni of Laughing Dragon Wing Chun has an app exclusively for iPad about the science behind Dim Mok as it applies to Wing Chun? Dim Mok is the art of hitting weak spots or sensitive spots on the human body. Dim Mok, as taught by John Crucioni, is considered one of the highest forms of Kung Fu target practice. He explains it in a clear scientific and anatomical principles and not just mystical theory or kung fu movie entertainment like the five point palm exploding heart technique nonsense. The art teaches you how to apply the principles of real dim mock within your system of Wing Chun. 
This app is unique because it breaks down two different lineages of the wooden dummy form and teaches the most common dim mock techniques of the dummy form and how to make it work. Contained within the app are videos, photos, theory, and points which are must-have for any Wing Chun practitioner who wants to elevate their skill to a higher level. And version 2.0 of the app is on its way out. It's available in the iTunes store for iPad only. And folks, it's just such a cool thing to have, you know, an old science of Dimmock brought together with the new science of an iPad. This is a, I've seen the app, it's fantastic, and it really is a must-have for, for Wing Chun Kung Fu practitioners. I hope you all enjoy. And we are back. Boy. I missed you, Alex. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell by how you look at me longingly across the screen and how your uh, upper lip is quivering. I, 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 you don't need to say anything. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! So we got a topic. So we have a topic. Um, we have a topic. The topic was suggested by uh, someone on Facebook. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love how you're definitely trying to say their name and you go, eh, someone on no, Facebook. <laughs> no, stop being a <laughs> I closed out the app. I see, I see. So this question comes from someone on Facebook. Someone on Facebook. <laughs> I know, right? I love busting uh, your chops. But, it's so easy. Well, you know what? So the, the question had something that starts off with, with, with our forms. Okay, oh, okay, no, we're doing the forms. Um, this is from John, John Turnbull. This isn't just, this isn't the other guy that I thought. Um, he wrote, <laughs> following, following on the previous discussion on Yip Man and the forms, what do, what do the dudes think of some of the benefits of the forms, and did they ever become unnecessary after some point in one's training? I think it's mm. a great freaking question. Now, honestly, when it comes to the Wing Chun forms, I'm going to just do a little preliminary cursory talk and let you take it after that you know because i'm the jkd guy you're the wing chun guy mm -hmm. uh, i'm a little bit country you're a little bit rock and roll i smell a sitcom uh, <laughs> uh, i'm so sitcom right <laughs> oh god we can make a buddy movie but we don't like each other no. <laughs> that's right that's that, that's what's great about it. he does wing chun but his buddy does jeet kundo and now they're locked in a house together for the weekend hilarity <laughs> ensues right <laughs> i i always look at the wing chun forms as well i should say i look at this is how i was taught um that you know you learn something in the first form, you learn to move with it in the second form, and you learn to recover it in the third form. So that if you look at like, say like st structure, you, you, you learn proper structure in the first form, you learn to move with proper structure in the second form, and the third form helps you recover it. And that's just one way of looking at the, the, the three forms in the way we do it. You know, um, centerline structure and and anything, any one topic, like you can learn, you 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 learn the horse, you perfect the horse in first form, you learn to move the horse in second form, you learn to recover the horse in third form. You know, it's it's things like that, 
And, and I always found that interesting. And I always found it as, for me, when I, when, I, when I learned that, when I understood that idea, it was like, oh, wow, it kind of does flow through each thing. I'm not saying, that's, I'm not saying that this is the only reason to do the forms. But I, feel, I think it's an interesting way of looking at the forms. And, and I think it rings true for many of the ideas in Wing Chun. Right. You, you'll see so many of the ideas are introduced in the first form. And they're, you're taught to move with those ideas in the second form. And you're taught to recover them in the third form. And that's why I, 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 that's why I feel the way I do of the importance of learning the three forms from the same system. Mm-hmm. Because it, they're all interconnected, and like, we, there, there's so many things that you'll find run throughout the three forms, that as as connectors, that uh, this, that that's my thoughts right mm-hmm. now. I'm, I'm I guess I'm a little scatterbrained on it as I'm with everything, but that's you know that that's my thoughts when it comes to the three forms, and um, now as far as did they ever lose their usefulness? I, that I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't know what to think about that. Right. I, I kind of feel like... I, I don't think they do. But I think they, they, they do if you're not concerned with teaching. Right. If you don't care about it 30 years later being able to pass on the system, maybe you don't have to know each form perfectly anymore. Right. If after you did them for 25 years. Right. But then if you did something for 25 years, are you ever going to forget it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? But like... Yeah, like, um, actually... At some point, Yip Man, right? Didn't Yip Man forget parts of the system? You yeah. know, when he was when he was starting to teach, he, he had to re-come up with the dummy form. He had to re-come up with different forms. You know, like... Just yeah, I mean, that... that that, that that's always that's one of the more prevalent stories um, that you know, oh, you know. I don't know if it's true or not. So I just thought that was true. Right. No. I mean, I I I, I mean, David Peterson, uh, who's been one of our guests in the past, he's he's I think one of the guys who told that famous story about uh, Grandmaster Yip Man having to like kind of refigure out the wooden dummy form because it had been so many years since he taught it, uh, or I, I should say since he had learned it, and he had to kind of put the teaching system back together because you know like and i think i mentioned this on one of our recent shows you know if if you timeline grandmaster yip man's teaching career he he basically finished learning wing chun somewhere around uh 1912 1914 i mean think about that the year 1912 or 1914 somewhere around there that's when Grandmaster Yip Man finished learning Wing Chun as a young man. He didn't he didn't start really teaching Wing Chun until 1950. Right. So wow. we're talking wow. about yeah. So so th- th- like sometimes people don't realize that because they only know Grandmaster Yip Man through photos, and the only photos that exist of him are during his time in Hong Kong, where he's already an aged master of the martial arts. But people don't really put that timeline together. There was such a huge gap from the time when he learned Wing Chun to the time that he uh, uh, had to teach it out of necessity. So while certainly he was a master of the martial arts 
Wing Chun in its skill in application and in Chi Sao, he probably had lost a lot of the finer points of the teaching system because he didn't need it anymore. Uh, to right. a certain to a certain degree, if if you're learning Wing Chun solely to to fight or defend yourself, as many people in the past did, like you said, it's not really that necessary. Once you have learned what the first form has to teach you and the second form and so on, then you don't really need them anymore because you already learned that skill and now you continue to keep that skill in practice through either sparring or chi sao. And um, it wouldn't be necessary to, you know, uh, constantly have to revisit that form if all you wanted was fighting skill. <laughs> Um, however, if you are teaching Wing Chun, uh, right. I don't think you, first of all, like you said, I don't think if you, even if you were just doing Wing Chun for fun for 25 years, are you really going to forget the forms? Our forms are not super long and super complicated. Um, but if you're an instructor, I think the utility of the forms constantly develops because um, since I have to... You know, like if you imagine the forms are kind of like boats, you use a boat to get over a river. Once you're over the river, you don't need to keep carrying the boat. You know, you can leave the boat there and keep walking on. Right. And so to a certain degree, that's what our forms are. However, when you're an instructor, you have to go over that river and then you have to go back and bring someone else across again and go back and bring someone else across again. So you're kind of never really allowed to unburden yourself of that boat because you you need to keep kind of bringing it back and back but what ends up happening is your your perspective deepens in my opinion because you've had to teach it so often you've had to go into it a lot more deeply than the casual practitioner ever does or even our own students that you know the way I look at the Sunum town now is noticeably different than how I looked at it even 5 years ago and right which I, is an excellent point I'm sorry for cutting you off no. just like that's an excellent point that's like what I was going to say and, and didn't say is that I remember like after learning Chumkyu and doing Chumkyu for a while, my Sifu Tom having me go back and doing first form and pointing out to me aspects of, of, of the first form that kind of changed a little bit for me. Not, and so the form itself doesn't change. But like the energy of certain things changed. Right. And it was clearly because I was doing second form. And I kind of feel like, like if, if a person was looking at me doing the first form in person, like then, and then the, doing first form after learning chump cue, they would say it looks identical. But inside I was feeling two different things. Right. I, there was, there was two, if, if, I'm not going to get the whole metaphysical chi bullshit thing. I'm talking more about my thought process, what I was, what, what my intent was, you know, and I, 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 when you said that, it reminded me of that. It was just like, you know, when you, after you learn third form, doing first form is going to be different for you. Right. Doing the first form, it's, it, it changes something about the form for you. So yeah, maybe, but maybe, but maybe after doing this for 20 years, 30 years, if you quit teaching tomorrow, mm -hmm. you hit the lotto, you're like, you know what? I just, I want to spend the rest of my time with my wife and kids. I just need. Would you still do first form? One hundred percent. I mean, I do it almost. I I do it pretty much every day. Uh, I do it when I teach, but uh, actually for me, it's kind of how I I wake up in the morning, and it's such kind of a and I love it. I I get such like bliss <laughs> bliss doing the form. 
I can't imagine my life without it. But I don't necessarily think that I'm doing it every morning because I feel like I'm missing something. Like just one of these days, this form is finally going to reveal its secrets to me. Like, <laughs> like it, it, it's it's just kind of like keeping those grooves, you know, like very smooth in my head and, you know, focusing on the elbow and the stance and the position and stuff. And it just is kind of it's part of my daily routine. It would be hard to imagine my my routine without it. But through teaching the form for so many years, um, you know, my understanding is different because you see that the form can have a slightly different meaning for different people, depending on their reasons for practicing Wing Chun. Like, obviously, in a very classical sense, if you're using it to learn how to defend yourself, then the form has very practical utility, learning stance, balance, elbow power, all these kind of things. But let's say for people who have a really hard time concentrating in their life, um, maybe that form is like the first time they can ever force their mind to think about one thing at a time. Like when they're doing the Tan Sao, just thinking about the elbow going forward. So, you know, we sometimes tend to kind of uh, superimpose our values for why we do martial arts and what we see in it on as it's as if it's kind of a worldview that everyone else has to follow suit but in in the modern day where martial arts are really a hobby for most people we're, we're not getting into these battles where we need to use them on a daily basis um kind of why everyone does martial arts is pretty different and like i've had students tell me like wow this is the first time i was ever able to stand still for a few minutes at a time right. and 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 like so for them this the first form is kind of like uh, th this thing to get them over a hurdle or something that's been blocking them in their life, like the ability to stand still or the ability to focus. And then so who am I to say like, no, actually, you're supposed to find like the center of your stance and work on your elbow power and all this like, you know, because then it's kind of like I ascribe what meaning I assume they should get out of it. And that that's not really, you know, in, in a modern day, I think that's not necessary. People can, can can come to Wing Chun for their own reasons and we don't have to superimpose the traditional reasons on that anymore. Right. 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 So no, I, I think that's brilliant. That's, you know. That's, uh, I, I mean, I always love the forms and I look at the forms sometimes as like almost, even at, even if you look at the forms as outside of a martial arts aspect, it just is almost like standing, moving meditation. Mm -hmm. The idea, like you're saying, like just being able to be on your own inside your own head. Yes. And concentrate on something other than work, family bills. Or your phone. Or your phone or whatever, you know, it's. It's um, it's giving yourself however many minutes you give yourself to do the form. Right. And um, I once I remember breaking a friend's balls who <laughs> did Tai Chi. And I remember just saying to myself, um, I'm like, what do you think about when you do the Tai Chi form? Because clearly it's got nothing to do with fucking fighting. I'm like, <laughs> such a such a rebel rouser. <laughs> <laughs> so he pushed me. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he he made you move and then he's like see your stance is no good <laughs> oh god interesting so, yeah i mean yeah i think the forms are still very relevant and necessary i think even if you, you got everything you can get out of them from a martial or fighting perspective i still think there are other um, benefits of the form that are still valuable to practice and and so the the you, you know so like the, the question is are the kind of the forms do they remain necessary even after years of practice and i think 
the 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 utility of the form changes over the course of the years. Like why you did the form as a beginner is not necessarily why you do it after 20, 30 years of practice. So um, the question might assume, although I might be reading into it wrongly, that your the reason why you do the form is always the same. It's just do you still have that reason 20 years later? And I would argue that your reason probably changes over the course of the years why you still practice it. So with that being said, and that there's a, so the reason the, the forms do keep their usefulness, that there's many reasons to look at the forms, mm -hmm. so that you should keep on going back to the forms. What's the deal with some people kind of creating their own form? <laughs> well, funny you should ask that. <laughs> it's like you're living in my head, Sean. First, you asked me about the whole confused lineage thing. So I'm a bit of a dick. So <laughs> yes. Well, uh, well, I, I assume like anyone who's been following my social media for the last two weeks knows that I, I kind of erupted on Twitter last week into like a multi-tweet like tweet storm of like um, basically countering. Uh, okay, so I, I'll lay it out to our audience members so they know exactly what's going on, and I'll tell it to you because the story is, you know, probably for people outside of the WT line, they're going to say, like, oh, yeah, see, those big organizations are always full of crap, and, you know, people within the WT line are either going to have heard of what I'm going to talk about or they're going to think it's totally absurd or they're going to think I'm lying, all right? So here we go. Um so as you know, before I started learning um, from Sifu Leung Ting and Carson Lau and basically learning what I call Hong Kong style Wing Chun, I learned in, in Europe for three years at a, at a castle. I studied full time, six hours a day, uh, five days a week, and, and basically learned under the top masters of the European Wing Chun organization professionally uh, as I learned to become an instructor. Um, now, in Germany at that time, and this is like the late 90s, early 2000s, most of the high-level instructors in, in Europe um, didn't really have personal access to Sifu Leung Teng. Like, he was, he was the figurehead of their organization, but they would only see Sifu Leung Teng in, like, seminars when he would come to Germany, you know, maybe twice a year. Uh, of course, right. And there'd be, like, hundreds of people there because the EWTO is huge. So that means even, like, the people who are, like, senior masters at that time, of course they had seen Sifu Leung Teng in many seminars, but they never had, like, a lot of direct access to him, right? So... You know what ends up happening in, in groups where this is the case, right? Um, people started to, like, ascribe lots of, like, mm, I don't know, undue credit to Sifu Leung because he's the figurehead. He's Chinese, and it's like, oh, if you could just learn from him and get all the secret Chinese stuff, then you'll really be a badass, right? It's like, like there's got to be lots of secret stuff that this Chinese guy knows, that we're not privy to, right? So a couple, uh, and, and this wasn't very common, and again, my, my comments here are not at all a criticism of the EWTO because the EWTO is an association I respect a lot and it's where I have my roots from. This criticism, if I may be so bold, is literally aimed at one person within that association, uh, namely the guy, <laughs> na namely the guy who created this, which is not Sifu Kanspect, certainly not Grandmaster Ting. It it was a a, a see a see hang of mine, a very senior master within Germany who who still teaches and and has a little bit of a reputation. So um, this this one instructor, he he kind of created a couple things. 
um, that he would teach his students. Like uh, he created this this form that I'm going to mention and he created lots of like secret Chisau sequences and applications and stuff. And because no other German instructors were teaching these things, a lot of people assumed this must be secret stuff from Sifu Leung Ting, right? Because, I mean, let's say you're from the Moyat lineage and some instructor in the Moyat lineage suddenly teaches you a bunch of stuff that like looks cool, but you never saw it before. Right. So your assumption might be this might be some secret stuff from Sifu Moyat that maybe this guy right, got exactly. because because it, it looks like your Wing Chun, but maybe it's just stuff you haven't seen before or exercises or something. Right. right so sure. so this one seeing of mine basically found a, a marketing niche within the European Wing Chun organization that he was going to teach amongst his close students. Uh, these forms or these additional sequences or variations of stuff. And the implication would be this is the secret sauce from Sifu Leung Teng. Um, and so it, it kind of, in my opinion, um, it became what I, I believe is kind of a sin of omission. This seeing of mine never really told his students directly that this came from Sifu Leung Teng. But he didn't tell them that it didn't come from Sifu Leung Ting right. either, right? So, so there was, and and I know this because I know many of his students have visited my school over the years, and and I I had I I am very well connected with people who had learned from him for many years, and so there was always an assumption among them that he secretly got a lot of this stuff from Sifu Leung Ting, and he's the only one who'll teach it in Germany. So none of the other German instructors will teach this stuff because <laughs> they don't know it. And when I left Germany in 2002, I was also under the impression that this Seeheng had learned some secret Leung stuff that no one else knew. And then over the course of the next nine years, I was a private student of Sifu Leung directly. <laughs> so I had the chance to, you know, not only learn from him in seminars and private lessons, but spend a lot of time with him, you know, in the car and traveling and in this place and that place and so on and so forth. So I had a chance to kind of have a lot of chit chat with him outside of the normal training. And I would start to ask him things like, hey, Sigong, did you ever teach? insert my seeing's name <laughs> did this guy ever learn stuff from you and he's like who is that guy you know and like starting wow. to find out that basically what this guy did is he took some information that he got um uh from someone else who had also learned from sifu Leung ting and he kind of modified it and changed it and mystified it and repackaged it as like the secret sauce so anyway that that's the background so i can tell you now the actual thing which is ridiculous and kind of embarrassing and funny and uh if any of the my kung fu brothers from the ewto still believe in this mystical thing afterwards then i'm just gonna have to give them a salute and say well good luck um so my Hing created uh, a form within wing chun uh, and this form is called, drum roll, Kun To. Kun is in fist, right? Kun To. And uh, it, it, it's seemingly just a sequence on the three-sectional wall bag, like a way of hitting the wall bag in a certain type of sequence. But it started to go beyond that. It was like there were eight sets, and there were like, you know, double punches and cross punches. And they, he even added like the shoulder strikes and all sorts of other stuff until the thing literally became like a bona fide form. It wasn't like a bunch of stuff you can do on a wall bag. It was like, <laughs> it was like a form. 
And I remember this was like the secret sauce when I was learning in Germany. One of my Seehangs, uh, the late Sivu Bent Ragnar, he came up to me and he was like, hey, I'll, I'll show you some of this this thing called Kunto. And I was like, ooh, the the famous Kunto form, right? Uh, and, and he showed me like a couple sets of it or whatever, and I was super excited. And he's like, yeah, maybe if you're lucky, you'll learn all the rest of the sets or something like that. And I was like, ooh, like I felt like I was in some like insider club, right? So anyway... My Seeing opens up Grandmaster Langting's book, and here's the joke, because the people who believe that Kunto is a real thing usually point to the fact that the term Kunto exists in Sifu Langting's book, Wing Chun Kun, all right? So, and if you open up the back of Sifu Langting's book, Wing Chun Kun, and, and look at the, 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 you know, index there with all the terminology, you will literally see Kunto, and the definition of Kunto is stated as box form. Okay, which is oh. which is kind of obscure Chinglish in my estimation. Like I remember reading that, going, "What is a box form? Like is a form like a box, or do they mean boxing, as in like martial art right, form? Right. Like what what does box form mean, right?" So anyway, my seeing pointed to that in in the uh, uh, in the index, and he said, "See, kunto. That's what I'm teaching you. It's called box form." So the the, the my seeing who made this up. Um, taught this to my other Sihing who was teaching it to me, and he he totally thought it was real. And they used the book, like, see, it's that thing. And I was like, oh, right. okay, right? To justify it. To justify it, right? Uh, low, I had no idea at that time that my Sihing literally just made that thing up and pawned it off as if it was some kind of secret. So anyway, I you know, I come back to the States a couple years later. I start learning from Sifu Leung I ask him about my Sihang. He's not taught this guy. And on some occasion, I actually asked Sifu Lengting about this box form. And I looked at him and I'm like, uh, Sigong, what is like Kunto? And he looked at me and he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's the eight section form on the wall bag. <laughs> and he just he just looked at me like uh, I, I had done like a one fingered handstand and hopped up and down a few times. Like he looked at me like he didn't know what was going on. Right. 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 And and he was like, there's no what's so called form on the wall bag. This is ridiculous. And then I went up to the wall bag and I showed him because I had eventually learned all eight sets of this mysterious form. Right. And I showed it to him, and he just was laughing. He was like, "What is that? What is that?" And then Am I authorized it, to teach it. Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You can come and watch me do it once, and then you can teach a seminar, right? And then so, what ended up happening is that that ended up being a transition to one of my best lessons with Sifu Leung Ting. Cause then he literally put me on the wall bag and showed me how to properly train with a wall bag, like the timing of the punch, the different ways of training a punch. And, and it's not a form. It's just, here's a bunch of methods. It's a, right, it's, right. A, it's a piece of training equipment. Right. So, um, but then I properly learned how to hit the wall bag from Sifu Leung Ting, which I had not really known at that time period. So this like weird Kunto conversation, um, brought up one of my best lessons with Siva Leung Ting. But anyway, it still didn't really explain why in the back of the book he's got this term called Kunto, right? And so obviously Kunto is not a form of wall bag punching, but Kunto still exists in his book. So it's like, well, then what the hell is the box form, right? So anyway, I eventually looked up the Chinese character and realized that uh, it was a misprint. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, it shouldn't be kun to, it should be to kun. So you need to flip the two characters over. And to kun in Cantonese means 
Uh, it means forms. It's actually just the generic word. So box form meant like boxing form, is in Chinese boxing form. Uh. So if you look up the term tokun in Google, you'll get a bunch of images of people doing forms regardless of style, karate, taekwondo, kung fu. Right, right, so right. it's literally the most generic word for form and like and it was misprinted flipped around and people were selling it as if it was a real thing and it was a freaking misprint so anyway it should be tolkien which means form but here's the clincher if you flip it and say ko kunto which is what they call it kunto means drum roll please boxing glove so, oh, God. so it's funny. They were trying to pretend this was some secret Chinese thing, right? Mm -hmm. And if it were a secret mm -hmm. Chinese thing, it should have a proper name. But clearly someone just took it out of the book and literally they were teaching a fake form that translated to boxing glove. And so what happened was because this was not a form. Now, now mind you, Sifu Kenspect or the EWTO, they never. this was never part of the curriculum. This wasn't something that was endorsed because it was made up. Right. It was just something that was taught kind of in the shadows between instructors. <laughs> so sure, it, only, sure. it only existed, but it was like it wasn't something that was discussed because it wasn't even right, real. Right. right. right? Um, but anyway, I totally stopped you know 2005 was probably the last time i thought about to uh, kunto after i found out that the definition was wrong and that this wasn't a form and this was all just made up nonsense but then recently on facebook an, uh, an instructor who's in the european wing chun organization uh, posted that he was going to teach a kunto seminar and then so a lot of people asked me like um, because I am the Kung Fu genius who knows many things about Wing Chun and Leung Ting system in particular. They're like, uh, Sifu, what's Kunto? Some WT guy is teaching a seminar on this form called Kunto and saying with all, and he talked about, you know, secret applications and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, my students ask me, like, so what's Kunto and when are we going to learn it? <laughs> and where does this fit into the system? And then I was like, oh, my God. Uh, it was the first time an EWTO instructor had openly mentioned it because this was not a real thing. It's just maybe he didn't realize it was a fake thing. And he just, you know, he's I, I have no doubt to believe he's honestly teaching it like he doesn't know it's fake. He thinks it's something real. So he he wants to teach right, it to course, his students. Right, right? right. It's just that he made the blunder of posting that openly <laughs> because I don't think I think Kunto was kind of the guy who made it up would probably be like, you know, uh, Ixne on the Untoke, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right, like right. We, we, you know, the first rule of Kunto is don't talk about Kunto or something, right? <laughs> and that guy blabbed about the fake Kunto form. So um, anyway, people asked me like what this thing was and I basically had to put it to rest. I never wanted to embarrass my Sihang because uh, he, you know, I found out that he basically just made it up and it's fake. Um, but it had come to the point where I felt like I needed to tell people like, you guys need to not believe in this thing. It's not real. Um, right. so I had to put that even the term is fake. If it means boxing glove, it should be token, which just means form. There's no so-called boxing form on the wall bag. I literally asked the grandmaster and he was like rolling on, rolling on the floor laughing. So, um, you know, when to come back to our original topic, uh, forms have many utilities. However, the Kunto form, the boxing glove form, has no utility. So if you're a WT person out there and you believe that Kunto is some secret form on the wall bag or with a partner that's going to teach you a secret way to apply your Wing Chun, I can only tell you this is, as our beloved president would say, fake news, all right? And you need to let that go and you need to stop teaching it and stop pretending it's a thing because it's as fake as four-stripe Adidas.
or Adidas for you German speakers out there. So anyway, that's all Adidas. I'm. Yeah, you know it's funny. I'll sometimes make jokes to Germans about like four stripe Adidas, and they don't know what I'm talking about. And Adidas is a German company because it's pronounced Adidas to Germans, right? So if you say like Adidas, they they literally like <laughs> you would say. Adidas, like Adidas. All right, you have to say it the correct way. So um, sometimes I have to remind myself that it's not Adidas for our German-speaking audience. Um, so anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. So Kunto, fake news, don't teach it, don't want anything to do with it. Awesome. Cool. What's the, ad what's the address of your school? Uh, my school is 1024 6th Avenue. Uh, Six, that, yeah, which what, is between the which is between 38th and 39th Street. So it's right in midtown. 39th and 39th. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, all right. No, because I ride down Sixth Avenue every morning. I oh, drive yeah? down Sixth Avenue. Yeah. So I was driving literally. I was driving down Sixth Avenue this morning, and I'm like, "Wait, where the fuck's is Alex School?" Oh, you should like, be able to see yeah. it. I have I have a huge sign in the front of the building, like a two floor sign. You, you should be able to see it. So yeah, next time we're right across from that big Marriott, that big Marriott hotel. I'm just right on the other side of the street. But you're actually on Sixth Avenue. I'm on Sixth Avenue, right? Yeah. I literally drive past your school every morning. Yeah, you should you should snap a selfie if you're stuck in traffic in front of it <laughs> with my school in the background. <laughs> my, my, actually, my, my school ends up being occasionally in the background of a lot because they shoot a lot of movies on that part of 6th oh, Avenue. Yeah. And even the, there was a movie a couple years ago called Premium Rush with uh, – uh, that was that Gordon-Levitt? John, John – what's it? Yeah, John, yeah, yeah. I, I know you yeah, mean. Yeah, John, Joseph yeah. Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, and he's like a bike messenger, and he literally breezes by my school, and you can see the sign in the background. I was super stoked about that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, uh, next time you go by, snap a selfie and post 16, it. 38 and 39th? Between 38th and 39th, yeah. Because I'm on my way to work. I drive up 6th Avenue. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, I, and I make a right on 46th. Oh yeah, so you and, definitely go buy it. You definitely go buy it. And I, yeah, it's it's that's just so funny. I literally thought of it this morning. I was like, holy shit, awesome. where's Alex's school? <laughs> that's really funny. Cool, man. All right, guys, this was a lot of fun. Welcome back. We'll be back in the swing of things. All right, see you guys later. Take care. Be good, everybody. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. 
Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!